At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Welcome to a special episode of the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. My name is Lloyd Newman, and today I'll be your host. In preparing for this episode, I went through dozens of drafts trying to find a way that I could bring some value to our audience. Initially, I tried to create a summary of the significant policy changes that would impact everyone in our audience, and the problem was is that the situation was evolving so rapidly that by the time I could research, record, and get the episode published, the information would all be hopelessly out of date for the listener. Then I realized I was struggling with adapting to this situation, and maybe many of you might be struggling with adapting to our new socially distanced at-home working situation. It might be beneficial for both of us for me to research and share some tricks and tips for getting the most out of working at home. In a couple minutes, I'll share with you my conversation with one of the experts, Dean Sarah Luddington, who is an absolute wealth of knowledge in this area and really helped inform many of the tips I'm going to share with you today. When I was putting the episode together, I realized everyone works, learns, and passes idle time in different ways. So I tried to find things that can be applicable to a broad audience and can be implemented immediately after listening. In general, I found three tips that meet these criteria, and I hope they will benefit you nearly as much as they benefited me. The first tip is finding an accountability partner. By accountability partner, I mean someone you can tell first thing in the morning what your goals and tasks that need to be accomplished for the day are. Make sure this person is someone that feels comfortable providing you with constructive criticism. And here's the important part. You have to be 100% honest with this person. If you failed to finish something by the end of the day, make sure you tell them. Tell them why. Even if it was because you got lost down a rabbit hole on YouTube watching cat videos. Have someone like this to hold you accountable can be tremendously beneficial. The next tip is a two-for-one special. Find triggers and incentives to encourage doing the good things at home and not playing more Call of Duty or watching another episode of The Circle on Netflix. A trigger is something that nudges you into beginning an activity. Think of it like when you leave the gym and you can start to smell how bad you stink on the drive home. That stink, that's a trigger. That provides you with the motivation you need to take a shower. For a personal example, I moved my coffee pot into my office. While I'm making my coffee in the morning and waiting for it to brew, I'm much more likely to start doing my schoolwork if I have to sit down in my office chair at my desk with all my textbooks on it to wait for the coffee to finish. Find a way to add triggers to the essential task that you need to complete during this time. Now for the good part, incentives. 
Humans might be highly evolved creatures, but we cannot escape Pavlov's methods. If you know that you are only going to get a treat once you perform a good behavior, you are much more likely to do that behavior. For me, my incentives are frequently my wife's chocolate chip cookies. These things are manna from heaven. I mean delicious. So I enlisted my wife to ration my cookie intake to only receiving a cookie once she sees proof that I completed some assignment. If your incentive is cookies, exercise, or 20 minutes of cat videos on YouTube, reward yourself for working hard and completing what you set out to accomplish. The final tip I'd like to leave you with today is clearly identify your working hours. Make it known to your family members, the people you live with, or whoever else might be demanding your time during the day, that from time A to time B, I am completely dedicated to work. But after time B, you can have my undivided attention. This really helps in two ways. First, it prevents the creep of work from taking over your life. If you're like me, you probably have more work to complete than you could hope to accomplish in one day. And when your office becomes your home, it's very easy to drift into work mode 24-7. This causes tremendous stress and can lead to burnout very quickly. This is a marathon that we're in, guys, not a sprint. So pace yourself and you'll get much better results. Second, use this free time once you finish for the day to call your family, call your friends, and call your loved ones. Communication has been shown to greatly reduce stress. This is especially important during this pandemic. Use this free time in the afternoon to call someone and check in on how they're doing. This will bring a bit of happiness to both of you and can help prevent depression and feelings of isolation. Hopefully there was something valuable in these three tips that can help you get the most out of your work or education during this period of social distancing. Next, I'm going to speak with Assistant Dean of Campbell University School of Law, Sarah Luddington. Dean Luddington has taught at multiple levels of education in multiple countries. She's currently serving as Campbell University School of Law's Chief Academic Officer, and generally I found her to be a wealth of helpful information on distance education. Without any further ado, I present to you my conversation with Dean Sarah Luddington. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. So I surveyed students, and the number one question I received was how to fit the materials to their learning style. Uh, so, for example, if I'm a visual learner and my teacher professor is giving a lecture where they're kind of narrating over a PowerPoint, how, how do you uh, recommend students to adapt to that sort of situation? First of all, it, all of us on the faculty recognize that this is um, a suboptimal situation. You know, we've had, particularly for 1L students, we've taught them a new way of learning in, in law school as opposed to undergrad. And now we're, we're completely upending the, we're turning over the apple cart and we're asking students to adjust. So it, it might feel really rocky and difficult at first, particularly if you're the kind of learner who thrives in that interactive, highly interactive law school classroom. So I would say, first of all, to those students, you know, take a deep breath. You will adjust to this. Um, this is going to be the new normal for at least a few weeks. And 
although it might not feel like an easy fit to you, I'm certain there are ways you can work with your professor to make it work. So, um, and also if it makes you feel any better. This is not how most law professors are used to teaching. Uh, we also thrive in that give and take, exciting, interactive classroom. So, so having that limited is, is a real challenge for all of, us, uh, all of us too. But I would say for students uh, who have a learning style that isn't well suited to the online learning, that um, you know you should obviously attend class or watch the recorded lectures, do everything your professor asks, but don't be afraid to ask for more. So all of the professors on this faculty are deeply committed to helping students get through this time. And if you feel like you need a small interactive chat session with your professor to really help you understand the material, then ask for it. You know, I, um, I am planning to post times for, for in-person, uh, virtual in-person help sessions. Um, and I think other professors will do that too as, as requested. So I would say my advice would be to ask, ask for the help that you need. So there's no feeling amongst the professors that would be inappropriate for a student to ask for a teacher to alter their educational style during this kind of situation? Well, you know, the professors are really limited by both the technology we have and the order from the governor and the president of the university that we cannot have in-person meetings of any significant size. But to the extent that we can answer student questions and provide individualized assistance remotely, we will absolutely endeavor to do that. Wonderful. So students are getting into a new rhythm. You know, I, I just started classes this morning, you know, signing into uh, the resources we have online. How, how do you recommend students make this transition into developing new habits? Two thoughts on that. One is that just tell yourself this is the new normal. And so you want to develop good habits around this new normal. And I, I guess my best advice would be to treat this like a nine to five job. So map out your week uh, from 9 to 5 every day. You know when you're going to need to be, or at least try to be, attending classes um, live. You know you'll have other classes where you, you can tune in any time to watch pre-recorded material. Um, and just account for when you're going to be reading, when you're going to be attending class remotely, um, when you're going to be outlining when you're going to be having virtual group meetings or virtual meetings with Ms. Hines Click, when you're going to be testing your knowledge through things like Cali or um, Connected Casebook or other resources, and, and just make yourself a schedule and stick to it. Just treat it like a job. You know, if, you, if you had a job, you would know you had to be there from 9 to 5, right. five days a week. So do the same thing with this. So, so speaking of the, the job front, I think um, one, of, one of the things that's really interesting that I noticed in this morning's classes is that there's a lot of distractions at home. Is there any way, uh, best practices, recommendations you would have for people 
not eliminating because that's obviously impossible, but minimizing those at-home distractions? Well, I personally have locked all three of my children into a closet, <laughs> and they will remain there for the for until their schools are back in session. In all seriousness, if it's going to be extremely difficult for people with young children, you know, those those kids are out of school right now. That is going to be a challenge, and I guess I would suggest that you're going to have to be really resourceful. Don't be afraid to ask family members for help, taking the kids away so that, or, or, or distracting them or whatever, so that so that you can study and get the work done that you need. I know that everybody who's teaching live classes is recording them, specifically because we know that. Uh, we have a lot of students who are who are parenting and are not going to be able to participate in the classes at, at the normal time because uh, schools are out and daycares have been canceled. So just do the best you can, and in, in circumstances like this, nobody's going to think badly of you if you if you send out a lifeline to mom or dad or anybody else who, who might be able to take your kid off your hands during the day. Speaking of the uh, recorded lectures, this this was a question that uh, I got quite frequently. I kind of surveyed the class and kind of used them for inspiration. I want to talk to you about today. And one of the things was is people didn't know whether they should kind of stick to the habit they have, like their body just autonomously walks into their 8 a.m. classroom without thinking about it. So should they just press play in their jam jams at home and go into class that way? Or... Should, should they kind of, when, when you talk about planning your week, plan just blocks of time and then, and then try to uh, adjust for the new situation? I think everybody's going to be different. You know, if you enjoy the 8 a.m. class, I would definitely continue attending at 8 a.m. Just remember that if the teacher uh, opens up your audio feed, your room and whatever you're wearing is, is visible <laughs> to the rest of the class. So... Uh, be decent at least from the waist up, right? <laughs> and um, otherwise, you know, the the nice one of the nice things about an online learning environment is that if you are an absolute disaster at eight in the morning, well, you can choose to to watch that class at a time when you are mentally more alert. What if any ways? I know you mentioned Cali earlier. Uh, are accessible to kind of substitute in the place of the, you know, the access to tutors on, on campus is probably uh, significantly diminished and, um, you know, access to in-person, you know, drop-by appointments with your professor probably much more limited. Uh, is there like anything, you know, obviously Cali is a wonderful resource, but anything else online that can kind of supplement that gap? Absolutely. So, um I have so many thoughts about this. First of all, no student should feel like they have to sacrifice getting their questions answered. So I've already mentioned that you know you should not hesitate to reach out to professors. They will either schedule one-on-one -on -one conference time, again, remotely, but one-on-one, -on -one, or if they think it's necessary or advisable, they might schedule sort of open office hours through Zoom or Blackboard Collaborate or whatever it might be. Um, Ms. Heinz Glick, for, for any students who meet with her on a regular basis, you can absolutely keep meeting with her. You should immediately 
um, email her. I know that she's planning to use Skype for all her meetings. Just indicate to her that you want to keep meeting. You know, perhaps you might need to change the time again because of, say, a childcare situation or distractions at home. But you should absolutely keep meeting. And I would say that the same goes for tutors too. Now we haven't gotten as far as to figure out how we're going to do online peer tutor sessions, but certainly that is possible and, and hopefully likely to continue. Now, in terms of resources, uh, you know, online resources for testing your knowledge, Cali is free and it is available through the law school website. Um, if you have a book published by Walters Kluwer, which is the red textbook, or by West, which is the gray textbook, textbook, they come with a with a digital access code that allows you to access all kinds of multiple choice questions. So, you know, there's a phenomena in in uh, the science of learning called the test effect, and it very simply means that you are much more likely to remember information to have it transferred into your long-term memory if you test yourself frequently after learning it. So it can feel like if you just read something in a book, you know, you've, you've read it, maybe you understood it when you read it, but you don't know whether you can apply it, whether you've really absorbed it, say, to the extent you need to be able to do on an exam. So my advice would be, you know, read the material, or perhaps after watching a class on particular material, immediately go find a set of questions on that material and take those multiple choice tests, it will pretty quickly reveal what you really absorbed and what you didn't absorb. And then repeat that process after about two weeks, again, to, to really cement it in your long-term memory. Now, some people say, oh, well, those questions, they're not perfectly keyed to what happened in class. I'm just going to suggest that they are better than nothing. Right. Uh, they really are. It's also... You know, I, I don't know if this happens to other professors, but I know that I, I hopefully put lots of hypothetical questions into my PowerPoint slides, thinking somehow that we're going to get to them in class. Right. We rarely do. This is a great opportunity for you as students to look at those unanswered hypos, you know, write out an answer to it, send it to the professor, see whether you're on the right track or to discuss it with your study group, whatever it might be. So another resource that you should not forego is your study group. So there are so many ways that you can continue meeting with your study group and doing sort of collaborative, peer-based exercises. There's Google Hangouts, there's Skype, there's Zoom. Um, there may even be a way to do it through Blackboard, but, but don't quote me on that because <laughs> I am not 100% certain. Uh, I don't think so. It sounds like okay. a pretty comprehensive list. To kind of piggyback off what you said, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that professors are getting inundated, you know, bombarded with questions, emails, so on and so forth. What? How do you get the most out of asking questions in this new environment? I think people so frequently, you know, I have this one question from that lecture. It didn't quite resonate can you please stay after and explain it, right. is now transitioned into emails flying all over. Well, what I do when students ask 
follow-up questions like that, um, when, when they become substantive and significant, I always advise my students, let's transfer this conversation to a discussion thread on the Blackboard because then I, I can share the dialogue with the remainder of the class so that if there are important substantive points that perhaps I left unanswered in class and need to be clarified, I want that information shared with the entire class. So that would be my recommendation, would be to ask your professor to set up a, a, an open discussion forum where students can initiate new threads and, and they can pose their questions there and then they will be asked and answered for the benefit of the entire class. And other, and other members of the class can also contribute to that discussion thread. So building off of that, I know you talked about uh, using online tests and hypotheticals to kind of test your knowledge, but I feel like the, the big thing in law school that's surprised me is the, the Donald Rumsfeldian unknown unknowns, right? Like you don't <laughs> know what you don't know until... Uh, you bump into a classmate and they ask you about, you know, joinder or something and you're like, wait a minute, what's joinder? And or, you know, some sub issue that you just completely, you know, brain froze through during the reading. How, how does how do students kind of get that fine tooth comb that kind of comes with that that friction of being so close with people so much? How do you kind of explore that? Well, I think in my experience anyway, that always came to me in the context of my study groups when someone would raise a question, but what about X? And we would try to piece through it together and all the details and how it really played out. So to the extent that you have a study group, I would absolutely continue the activities of that study group. Keep dividing up your share of the outline, keep attacking problems together, you know, keep trying to clarify the details. So I know another thing that I noticed um, is a, a wave of supplemental syllabus, or syllabi, I guess. And in that, attendance policies have been laxed, and understandably so. They don't want there to be a, a pressure to you know, come into school or come do certain um, behaviors that could you know, kind of defeat the purpose of social distancing. But I also see the, the flip side of that in that it might be difficult because then now it's a, a self-motivation instead of this extrinsic force. Um, do you have any uh, guidance for people on how to, you know, when you're not getting cold called, to still make sure you're still giving the same vigor to your reading or when you're not forced to come to class, like still watching the lecture? Well, I guess it all boils down to how much do you want that JD? because you're still going to be tested on all the material. And, um, you know, even if we move the, the tests off-site to open book tests, um, they're not going to be any easier, and there will still be a time limit. So, you know, keep, keep your end goal in mind. Keep your eyes on the prize, as it were. You've still got to pass all your classes, all academic standards and regulations, are in place, which means you will have an exam. You need to keep your GPA above a 75 if you want to stay in law school, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so the carrot and the stick both still exist, even if they are a yeah. little bit better, well, more hidden. And, you know, I, I went to a law school that really didn't 
that minded the ABA's attendance rules in the breach, but I can tell you that I almost never skipped class because skipping class always turned out to be its own worst punishment. There was, you know, in in almost no situation was I able to supply as much knowledge and understanding to the material as, you know, on my own without a professor. So I think after after one or two experiments with, with not going to class, I gave that up pretty quickly. Right. So I was having an interesting conversation this weekend with my uh, my aunt. Uh, she's a she's a professor of science at a, a university here in North Carolina. And so she was trying to figure out how to do her chemistry labs, right? right. Like there's just absolutely no way to get students into a lab. And I started thinking about that as it applies to law school. I, I imagine there's quite a few courses that are very difficult to transition to the online learning environment. And so I was wondering, is there a one-size-fits-all model that you, instructor, will find a way to teach your subject matter through uh, Blackboard, or is the sky's the limit, you know? Well, it, it has been a real challenge to figure out how to manage the experiential education classes, and we, we really pride ourselves on those classes. We were requiring at least six credits of experiential ed long before the ABA decided to make that a requirement. So if you look at the email that Dean Leonard sent out last Thursday, you'll notice that there are exemptions for some classes. So for example, for, for students who, who are in trial advocacy, we still expect them unless there are extraordinary circumstances at play, to come in and participate in their final trial. Um, for externships, we have allowed students to essentially coordinate with their employer. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our externs work at the courts or at North Carolina State entities, and those are shut down. So to deal with that, we've said, okay, if you've completed 60 hours and, and want to just have a one-credit externship, you know, we know you were counting on two, but we'll let you stop at one instead of trying to figure out how to make up that, that additional 60 hours. Oral arguments in advanced legal writing are also probably going to be conducted in person, and the jury selection class, which is taught by... A, an adjunct uh, is still going to go on in person. Our adjunct professor, you know, he's a full-time practicing lawyer and he barely has time to teach this class every year. Uh, he could not figure out how to do it remotely because he, he would have had just a three-day ramp up. So there are some exceptions in place. Now that said, I have seen a lot of information and discussion going around on the associate dean listserv Yes, there is such a thing about how to do trial advocacy remotely. And I, something I did not know, Stetson Law School actually has an online, completely online master's course in trial advocacy. So obviously it can be done. Our trial advocacy program director, Professor Tilly, is, is watching those videos and thinking through how we can do this um, for any student who needs to 
really be in quarantine. So realizing that, uh, you know, students and professors both are kind of learning on the fly, building this plane in mid-flight, how, what are fair expectations to hold for one another? What is a fair expectation to hold your professor to, and what is a fair expectation for a professor to hold for a student? Well, I think we all need to extend each other a lot of grace. And I think the only unforgivable sin in this time period would be to lose your sense of humor. Um, so it, you know, we, this is a crazy time uh, for everybody. And I think we, we all need to just take a deep breath and realize that everybody is acting in good faith and, and doing the best they can do. Obviously, you've been in and around academia for quite a while now. It can, can and is frequently a very stressful environment. Uh, do you have any advice for people and how to maintain uh, normal blood pressure with all this stuff going on? Yeah, I do. I think I think you you owe it to yourself to sort of cabin your law school life to nine to five, and then at five o'clock, shut your laptop put away your books and go take a long walk, cook yourself a nice meal or have one delivered in, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, you know, catch up on Netflix above all, stay healthy and try not to let the stress of it get to you. Because if you, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's been a real challenge for me because there are people in my community who I'm, very, very worried about. You know, we have faculty members who I love who are older or have health conditions that really are putting them at risk in this time. And, you know, worrying is my superpower. So I could spend all day worrying about about right. the danger this this virus poses to a lot of people I really love. But I am, you know, I would say stay healthy. Don't don't let this self learning take over your life. Keep doing the things that that keep you happy and, and healthy and, and fit under normal circumstances. And I just want to add one thing to that, which is that as much as I want you all to, to sort of adjust to the new normal, I really don't believe that the law school building should be in your new normal. I would encourage all of you to stay away in the nicest possible way. Right. Um, the, the, to the extent that we can minimize our connections with one another, our physical connections, you know, where we can share air and germs, we will all be better as a community. So you actually led perfectly into my next question. I, that's the, the message that I've, I feel like I've been receiving uh, over the last couple of days is that the school's open, but we don't really want you to use it unless you need it. And so need is such a uh, squishy word. Like I, I understand some people might not have equal access to online and other resources at home and so may need to come. But I mean, what if you're in a situation where, you know, the kids are crying and you just need to get away for a quiet space and stuff like that? Is there any way you can kind of solidify that squishy term for when is it okay to come into school? Well, this, the school remains open. And for anybody who doesn't have a strong and reliable internet connection at home, that is absolutely the kind of reason to come into school. 
so that you can continue to meaningfully participate in your learning. Um, and also, if it is the only place where you are not inundated by noise and dogs and kids, then absolutely. Um, and I would suggest staying in the library, you know, holding yourself up in a, in a, in a study carol and um, keeping it as, as clean and tidy as you can. So, but for, for those of you who have quiet, amenable living circumstances with good internet connections, remember that the reason to stay home is to protect the more vulnerable people in this community. Right. Very well put. So starting to wrap up, what's uh, something that you've learned from this process? I have learned more than I ever thought I would need to know about Blackboard Collaborate. <laughs> Um, I've learned that if I have spent five minutes with a program, I can actually meaningfully help somebody else who has spent zero minutes with a program. <laughs> right, right. So what, um, e even under normal circumstances, what is one tip, trick, habit that you wish more of your students would uh, adapt to their education? Well, I think... I always tell my students, particularly first-year students that when you're training to be a lawyer, you're training to be the person who has the answer. So clients come into your office and they pose a question to you. You may not know the answer then, but you have two choices. You can either say, I don't know, you better go find someone who does know, in which case they'll walk out and never, never darken your doorstep again. Or you can say, I don't know right now, but I will call you back in 24 hours with, with some thoughts. And then you are the answer person. You then, it's incumbent on you as the attorney to do the research, to think it through, to come up with some strategies, to come up with some possible solutions, um, or at least to even identify the legal issues. So this is a great opportunity for all of us to put ourselves in the mode of becoming the answer person. Um, I think you know you're, you're really becoming an attorney when you realize that you know how to answer questions on your own. Wonderful. So last question is how we like to finish up uh, episodes of the podcast. Um, Campbell's motto is leading with purpose, and what does that mean to you? Well, in this particular situation, it means that I have had to... Uh, lead the faculty through this, you know, going from, well, we've got 14 cases in North Carolina to 28 cases to, you know, now cases being reported on Campbell's undergrad. And I've had to be a leader with the faculty to assure them that we can all make this transition to effective online learning in one week's time and make sure that we are still delivering uh, the kind of educational excellence that we hold ourselves to. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time, Dean Ludington. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening today got something out of it. And I wish everybody would stay safe. Make sure you wash your hands. Stay away from one another. Stay and healthy. Stay healthy. And have a great week. And you'll hear me next time on the Kemble Law Reporter Podcast.
Thanks, everybody, for joining us for today's special release episode. Before we end the episode, I wanted to share with you a final thought. Shine through your grind. I tell you, my inbox has been filled with questions regarding employment. Will my job still be there? Can I get a job? What if my company goes under? To answer these questions, I called the dean of Campbell University's Law School's Career Services Center, Dean Taylor. First things out of her mouth was shine through your grind. She told me, and she should know, because she helped hundreds of job seekers through the Great Recession in 08. And she kind of broke it down to me in three to four main points. First, journal through your experience. This is solid advice all around. Not only can journaling reduce stress in many people and help you clear your mind, but it's a great way to prepare for potential interview questions. How were you impacted? What did you do? What is an example of the time you overcame adversity? A journal can help you really flesh out meaningful answers to all of these questions. Next, don't spend all day on the job hunt. The job search can be overwhelming and time intensive. If you're not careful, it can take over your entire day. Identify an amount of time beforehand that you set aside to search and apply for jobs. Set a timer, and when you're done, you're done. Don't let it take over your entire life. Use this time more efficiently by high-level strategic thinking to identify the jobs you're applying for and how you're marketing yourself. Many businesses are going to be struggling coming out of this, and if you can market yourself as a person uniquely qualified, to address those problems or apply for positions that are going to be highly in demand, you're going to get much more traction in the market. Next, with graduation delayed, government jobs, and many others on hiring freezes or furloughs, you need to remain flexible. If you lost your dream job or if you're about to enter the market, broaden your search for more positions than you otherwise would. Maybe if you're a student, a summer research position at your school, or maybe a community services or pro bono position is available that could help you sharpen your skills and most importantly, help your community recover from this pandemic. Just because you don't start off in your dream job doesn't mean you won't get there. You just might have a new path to take to get there. Next, get ready for a different type of interview. As some of you listening might be aware, interviews during this period are transitioning from a traditional interview questions to more problem-solving, case-based solutions. I know I was caught flat-footed when I was given three hours and asked to write an essay about how I would address a specific problem. When you are in these interviews, keep in mind how your answers will be received and tailor your answers to give them a favorable mental picture of you. If they ask you what your friends would say if your biggest character flaw Place your answer in a context with facts and examples so their mind doesn't automatically drift to the worst possible outcome. All right, folks, that's it. Don't forget, remember to check the description below for a list of links to helpful resources. I'd like to thank everybody that made this episode possible, including Dean Taylor, Dean Ludington, Professor Lisa Lukasik, John Johnson, my producer Stephen Dinkle, my current editor-in-chief Hunter Cole, my incoming editor-in-chief Shannon Lackey, and please remember to rate and subscribe the CLR podcast wherever you get your podcast if you enjoyed the show. It really helps. And everyone, please stay safe. And remember, lead with purpose. Everybody stay safe. And for Pete's sake, wash your hands. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode. 
which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.